welcome to Little Bodies, Mighty Hormones, a podcast that delves deep into the world of pediatric weight management and hormone health. Join me, Dr. Rinku Mera, as I embark on a journey to unravel the mysteries of these tiny bodies with enormous potential. Here, I will guide you through the intricacies of nurturing healthy lifestyles, fostering hormonal balance, and empowering our youngest generation to thrive. So whether you're a concerned parent, a healthcare professional, or simply curious about the wonders of pediatric health, you're in for an enlightening ride. Stay tuned for expert insights, inspiring stories, and actionable advice to help our little ones reach their full potential. Let's embark on this empowering journey together. Thanks so much for joining me today. Sure. Uh, Glad to be on. And I just wanted our listeners to know a little bit about you. So if you could just tell us, I know you're located in Maryland in general pediatrics, but if you could tell us a little bit about you and your practice, you're our neighbor. So I'm in Virginia. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah. So I am in Maryland, Western Maryland. And so my practice is actually in Hagerstown, Maryland. And I've been at this location for like over 17 years. Okay. Father, father of three, married to my lovely wife, and I'm a general pediatrician, both certified and just been practicing out here for the longest. Okay, great. And so you see pediatric patients like babies to 18 or what's the yeah, age range? So I actually see from, you know, zero babies, newborns to about 22, 23 years of age. Okay. I do have a family practice. So I have some nurse practitioners who see adults as well. So they see, you know, kind of transition them off onto the nurse practitioners when they're over 20, 22 years old. Okay. Okay, great. And so you've been seeing pediatric patients since for the last 17 years in Maryland. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. 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 Great. So I wanted to just talk to you a little bit today about what your patients could expect when they see you at their well child visits, specifically for weight. Like, how do you approach that? And when do you actually start having that discussion with the parents? Sure. I mean, one of the wonderful things about pediatrics is just the fact that you get to track these kids over a period of time, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's one of the beautiful things about being in general pediatrics. And as part of that relationship with families, we're seeing them for these well-child exams that we schedule pretty, you know, they're spaced out over several months and certainly yearly after a period of time. We see them at birth and then there's the one month well-child, the two months, four months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and then it's six months after that to 18 months, well, 15 months and then 18 months, two years, two and a half years, and then three years and yearly after that, you know? Okay. So we get to see them at all these points. And one of the things you do during a well-child exam is to take a look at growth. And that's where the growth chart is our dear friend because we can track a kid's weight and height over a period of time mm -hmm. looking at the growth chart. Mm -hmm. that's, so it's so helpful and instructive because we can start to pick up trends to see if a child is beginning to put on weight or beginning to lose weight, you mm -hmm. know, and that helps guide that conversation. So that really will be a conversation that can start as early as several months, like, you know, the first year of life. We're seeing this sharp uptake, and then we have to sort of try and determine if this is, you know, just something genetic or where, like, for instance, breastfed babies sometimes will have this, you know, big 
with spike on the growth chart and then sort of start to level off. So we get to track over time to see what may be going on. But certainly when it looks like that growth chart is the percentiles are increasing and giving us some indication that there may be some weight issue going on, we start to have that conversation then. So it could be as early as that first year of life or certainly, you know, down the road at whatever point we feel there's some indication there's something going on. Okay. And so what do you start with or how do you have that discussion? So say you have a child who is, and you said you start maybe at one, say you have a child that has, you know, significant increase in their weight. Yeah. How do you counsel the families or what do you say? Yeah. 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 So I think that's also the beauty of having this sort of longitudinal practice where you fold them over a period Mm -hmm. of time, because you get a chance to develop a relationship with parents and with families. And I think that's really helpful. Then you're able to, how I may bring it up with one parent may be different from how I bring it up with another parent, mm-hmm. right? Also, also, I can see the whole family and I can also see, just generally speaking, generally assess mom or dad's health and see mm-hmm. if they're also overweight or heavier than they should than mm-hmm. what will be for their height, which may also affect that conversation too. Because if mom or dad are obese, you know, or well past what will be an ideal weight for them, for their body structure, that may also, I have to take that into consideration because right. as I'm speaking to them about their child, they're going to internalize a lot of that also. Mm-hmm. And so you could have parents who become defensive and have to, mm-hmm. and, you know, not receive that information. So right. it's just involves a lot of tact, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly address it. It's very helpful. That's why I love having a growth chart because it's like, you know, an objective sort of um, tool I can use. Mm-hmm. I can look at them and say, hey, look, you know, this is what's been going on with, you know, with Johnny's weight. You know, he's been nice and steady. And all of a sudden, look at this spike here, right? Right. And I just it's easier to have that conversation because they can also see it. Sometimes parents already know that their kids are overweight, mm-hmm. right? So they, they know that's, a, that's the issue. And so when you bring it up, I think when you create an environment that's safe, where there isn't like a judgmental edge to your conversation, I think it's better received. Some parents even bring it up on their own. When I ask that first question, are there any concerns, you know, today, some parents already bring up, well, I'm concerned about the weight. And that makes, that's an easier conversation because Mm -hmm. they brought that up. Okay. And so, you know, at what point do you think about, you know, screening or what do you do as far as screening evaluation? And when do you start that process for kids? Yeah. Again, it starts really very in that first year of life because we're also taking a nutrition history as well. It's also seeing, you know, maybe say from six months to nine months, that visit where those visits where they've started to introduce solids, we can start to ask questions. And especially as they get, you know, past the year old, when they're beginning to eat a lot of table food, what's the diet, what's the diet like? And so from hearing, oh, we're giving lots of French fries and we're giving like chicken nuggets and we're hearing a lot of processed food and a lot of foods that would typically be you know, unhealthy in quantities, mm-hmm. then I can start to have that conversation. You know, are we having any fruits? Are we having any veggies? You know, mm-hmm. what kind of milk are we giving? Maybe there, I, as part of the history, I may get a history of, you know, they're getting like, you know, two, three bottles of juice a day, right? So that's a conversation I can have then. Well, you know, ideally, first of all, there's really no need for any juice at all to start with. Okay. And if you want to give some juice, maybe four ounces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's right. really start early. I think you start to screen nutrition in conjunction with a, 
um, with the growth chart, you can start to sort of have that conversation about weight, you know, and about what's healthy in terms of nutrition. Okay. And then do you give them a period of time that you're monitoring them? So say you give them that guidance, you know, do you say come back in three months, six yeah. months? Yeah. You know, wh what is your approach usually? I we try and stick to three months in the practice because if I think find out when we make it too far out, like six months, it sort of drops off everyone's radar yeah. as committed to trying to do whatever, follow whatever prescriptions you've come up with in terms of lifestyle changes, vacations. And so if it's three months is shorter, they kind of have a goal to walk towards. Yeah. Sometimes even monthly, depending on how significant of a weight issue there is. And it also gives us an opportunity to see if they're actually seriously working on it and are able to sure. do that successfully on their own, or if we need to refer to a nutritionist, for instance, to help. Okay. Uh, as well as, you know, a chance to be able to judge if there's something else going on other than just nutrition and lifestyle issues, if there's some metabolic uh, reason for the weight gain or okay. the weight. Yeah. And so speaking of along the lines of nutritionists, I mean, I have had a lot of families say, that it's really hard to access, you know, nutritionists and, you know, how often are they able to, are they supposed to be seeing the nutritionist? Do you hold, have a nutritionist in your office or how, what is your approach? Yeah, you don't to, have one in my office. It'd be wonderful to have one in the office. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're right. It is a difficult service to access in the area. I will say it's better now than it was, you know, 15 years ago when I first came to, you know, 17 years plus ago when I first came to the area. Now there are some nutritionists in the area. We have a local physical therapy place that actually has a program as well, Pediatric Movement Center, and another one that opened recently called Call Life that actually have an obesity program and weight management program okay. um, attached to the, their offerings, which has been helpful. But yeah, I think it's not, it's still a bit of a challenge, but it's certainly better than it has been previously. Right, right. So one of the questions one of the listeners has is, you know, do you keep an eye out for diabetes? And of course, you know, I do that. Yeah. Um, but what is the age range that you typically start, you know, screening for diabetes yeah. for children? Yeah. So I think usually as they get into the early teen years, especially if I'm seeing a lot of weight gain, mm -hmm. I will start to screen and I will send a hemoglobin A1C sometimes just to see if, again, if there's a lot of weight gain and a lot, and also if there's a family history as well, that can be one indication but yes usually early teen years i would say now sometimes younger if i have a you know a kid who's seven eight years old and there's a lot of weight right. gain i will in at that point as well right but a lot of times it's in the early teen years yeah so you know when i was training many years ago we used to always say we never see type 2 diabetes you know, we said that never yeah. see type yeah. 2 diabetes in kids younger than age 10 yeah but i'm actually seeing patients with type 2 diabetes as early as 7 or 8 yeah. now because of the weight and especially like you said because there's you know family history yeah. sometimes of diabetes and so i think that is an important thing to keep in mind yeah. for parents also and for pediatricians yeah. just to make sure that we are you know screening because that's something that we can treat that's uh, right. With medication. The other question I had for you is, you know, with regards to weight, you know, we talk a lot about overweight mm -hmm. in, in, you know, pediatrics. And the other flip side to that is underweight, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of controversy recently because I've told my patients not to drink juice and, you know, that they don't need it. But I think, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your approach to, you know, the underweight child, because I also have a lot of families come to see me sometimes. They're not growing with regards to their height. Yeah. 
And they're also not gaining weight with regards to, you know, just their caloric intake, their weight's not going up or they're losing weight. And sometimes, you know, that's related to diet. Sometimes it can be related to other things, hormonal issues. But I wanted to talk to you about that. What is your approach for that? Is it the same longitudinal, you know, or do you screen for those patients a little bit sooner yeah. or faster? Yeah, I think also that's also where the growth chart comes into play as well. It's very helpful, at least for me as a general pediatrician. Yeah. We'll tell you that maybe I'll just get take a stab at it. Like 90% of the time when a mom is worried about their kid being underweight, they're actually in the proper weight, especially if they happen to be of ethnic origin. So they're Africans or Lat Latinos, or I find a lot of even Asians sometimes, a lot of those moms sort of have and I speak as I've been an African myself, moms tend to have an sort of overflated idea of how much food we should be eating as kids, right? And you must yes. eat all the food on your plate. And yeah. So sometimes when moms are worried or parents are worried that their kids are underweight and I look at the growth chart, I can also show them, hey, little, look, we have a nice, beautiful, steady growth rate. Maybe they're a fifth percentile, but that's just what they are, you know, genetic makeup, you know, is. So we all have, we all have different sizes, right? Even as adults, we have adults who are taller, who are shorter, different size weights. And we want to see that a child is sticking to, generally speaking, a growth percentile that's, that, that seems to be appropriate for them genetically. But there are real cases where there's, you know, underweight, where maybe they've even grown nicely for a period of time and then we can see them trailing off on the growth chart and are beginning to lose more weight than is expected. And in those cases, again, you try and get a nutrition history. Sometimes those kids are not eating very well. Sometimes parents are not feeding enough calories, especially with the toddlers. And sometimes even babies may not be feeding enough calories. If you have a kid who is really very picky, there may be other things at play, like some maybe genetic condition where kids are just difficult to feed. If a kid who's autistic, sometimes that can be difficult because they're sensitive to textures, they're sensitive to kinds of foods. And so maybe they only eat one kind of food or right. only eat or only take liquids and it's difficult to feed solids. So that becomes more challenging. I think, again, the growth chart helps us to screen for underweight cases. And then the approach is going to be individualized again as well. I mean, if you have a child who's autistic and is just refusing to eat foods because of texture, that kid is going to be someone that we refer right away to a therapist, a feeding clinic, to sort of walk with them with handling textures, as opposed to someone else who is maybe just a picky eater and the parents haven't sort of, you know, really encouraged a lot of foods or, or high caloric foods to help with that, with that situation. That's a little different to what's your advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important piece about, because I get a lot of referrals for underweight as well as overweight. And I think the important piece from the endocrine perspective is, you know, overweight has its own set of complications or hormonal complications, yeah. right? So, you know, overweight can lead to early puberty in girls. It can lead to diabetes. Like, you know, we all know those issues in older girls that can lead to the regular menstrual cycles or PCOS. And actually can cause accelerated growth in patients who are, you know, overweight. Underweight, though, when I see patients for underweight in my clinic or they're referred for endocrine, the first thing I look at is their height also. So if they're, you know, decreased weight significantly and they're not growing, then that may be a hormonal issue. But if they're, you know, usually the first thing that we see in endocrine is that their weight drops off. 
But if their height is maintained, usually it's not a hormonal issue. And like you said, it's more nutritional, might be more gastroenterology or artistic or things like yeah. that. But really, it's we look at, like you said, the growth chart from a longitudinal perspective. And I always, you know, look at the height also, and I know you do too. Yes. Their, their height is, you know, stable, then it's not usually a hormonal problem. So I don't know if you get a lot of those questions, but I get a lot of those questions too for, you know, screening their thyroid because they're underweight or they're overweight. And, and oftentimes, you know, it's not related to that. Right. It's related to, you know, what their diet is. So, so I think that's super important to, to pay attention to. You mentioned briefly about portion sizes. And do you have good guidelines that you give your patients and your parents about what the appropriate portion sizes are? Because I think there's a lot of confusion about what the right portion size is for kids. And it can lead to, like you said, underweight if they're not getting enough, yeah. overweight if they're getting, you know, too many calories. So, and often, you know, we don't, as parents, we don't get that education to say what is the right portion size for our kids and what should they be eating and drinking on a regular basis. And there's so much information in the media and the press about what's, you know, healthy and not. So, so let's talk about portion sizes. Do you have some general guidance that you give for portions? Yeah, I have. I have a few charts that sort of give you general ideas of what those will look like mm -hmm. of different ages. And I also have a few charts that also talk about what caloric requirements are generally for a seven-year-old girl versus, you know, a 14-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's helpful, especially, you know, in this sort of technological, technology age that we're at, where there's so many apps that can actually help you calculate calories mm -hmm. also, because mm -hmm. I that even helps with, with kids who are overweight as well. Say, hey, listen, this is generally speaking the amount of calories you should be taking a day, depending again on level of activity. And how about you just use your app and track how much you're actually taking? And sometimes they realize how far off they are in terms of extra calories. But I think that can be helpful also in terms of just seeing what we're, where are we in terms of the number of calories we're taking in. So I think that's helpful. I think also just talking talk to him about on the plate, well, on the plate itself, how much of it is proteins, how much of it is carbohydrates, how much of it is, you know, your veggies, and just trying to see how we can help them save maybe half the plate veggies, you know, another half we can do as proteins and then, you know, carbs and fats. I think that's helpful for children, especially in that first year, toddlers. I also, I think it's a good visual sometimes to tell moms, hey, you know, your child's stomach without any food in it, it's only about the size of their fist, <laughs> right? So right. it's only so right. much food can actually go in right. there. And sometimes that really gets them thinking like, oh, actually the stomach is that small. Yeah. Really, I didn't realize that because I'm putting like all of this food on the plate, right. making them finish all of it because we don't want to waste food, right? Right, um, right. So it be helpful to, to, as well to give some guidance in terms of portion sizes. Yeah, that's actually exactly what I do too. And I tell them the same thing as far as the plate, you know, the healthy plate. I think we all learn the same type of training in residency. But, you know, the other piece that I always tell them is, you know, and I don't know if you do the same thing, but I, you say, look at the child's fist, right? So we look mm -hmm. at the child's fist mm -hmm. and we say, okay, the fist is like really the size, their fist, not yours, yeah. but their fist is like the size of the protein, yeah. right? And then their palm of their hand is the size of the carbs. And then the rest of the plate really is veggies. Or veggies yeah. But, you know, the other question I have here is, you know, somebody's asking about, and I don't know if you, you see a lot of that. I, you know, worked in Chicago. I worked in DC. I worked in a lot of inner city areas. And, you know, patients used to ask me this question all the time about fruits and veggies. You say half the plates, fruits and veggies. 
Roots and veggies are expensive, right? And so, you know, we have a lot of families who say that fruits and veggies are really expensive. How do we, you know, afford to feed our kids a healthy diet? You know, the processed food is often cheaper than unfortunately. And so I think it's, you know, an issue with this, you know, system. But what do you say to to your families who say that? Yes, and you're right, you know, eating healthy can be more expensive, though that families can still be creative. I think that when you, first of all, already make an effort and you've already decided I'm going to eat healthy, I think you just naturally find ways to get that done, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe I might not be able to go to an organic you know, supermarket, but I can go to my regular grocery store and still see what I can afford there that is, you know, a, a vegetable or fruit. So I think that, first of all, is just trying not to automatically make that be a barrier and just say, you know, it's expensive, I can't do it, all right? There are some resources in the area. I know in our local area here, there's a, a healthy, uh, I think it's healthywashingtoncounty.org. There's like a, a program, Go For Bold is the one of the programs within that program where they're trying to lose a million pounds, you know, in a certain number of years. I can't remember what it is now, but Within that program, there are some programs locally available. One of them, for instance, is uh, parents call some of their local grocery stores. One of them is Martin's and another one is Food Lion, where they can actually get a tour through the supermarket to the grocery store to teach them how to shop, right, on their budget. And I think, you know, online, there are probably a number of resources where they can go on and just sort of see what's available given their current economic situation. I don't think it's completely impossible to still get the number of fruits and veggies you need, amount of fruits and veggies you need at a decent reasonable price. I think yep. first of all, we just sort of automatically feel it's expensive, so I'm not even going to try. Right, Which, right, right. I agree. Happen. And I think the other part of that is, you know, there are, you know, frozen fruits and veggies are available also. And, you know, that's okay to try, you know, the frozen and they last longer. Yeah. You can freeze them. You can add them, to, you know, to start with, you know, your dinners and have, you know, the veggies and, you know, your protein with that piece of it. So I think that's really important. I did hear, have someone say that you can also go to the local library sometimes and they have places that you can plant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Also is thinking through, you know, if you have someone who's really motivated, they can also rearrange their budget, right? Because a lot of those families are spending some money on juice, are spending some money on chips, are spending some money on other foods that are not right. healthy or getting them to their goal, right? And right. money they could peel back and spend towards getting the fruits and the veggies. I think sometimes just looking at our priorities and where we're spending that money, we might mm-hmm. be able to re- reassign some of those resources to go towards just eating healthier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much. I know we're talking in a minute also about thyroid and overweight. So this is, you know, the discussion today on your site, but I don't know if you have any last words that you want to say or tell people where to find you one more time. Absolutely. Just in terms of, first of all, just getting your child to healthier weight. I just want to say that, you know, oftentimes there's a lot of shame around that. And so where there's shame, it's difficult to really make significant progress towards your goal and so just letting parents know that there's no shame in where you found yourself you know your child is overweight maybe you're also overweight just saying okay this is where we are how do we get to where we need to get to and just really taking the steps you can the small steps baby steps 
in the right direction. So don't give up, you know, reach out to your primary care provider, reach out to any specialist you've been referred to, whether that's a nutritionist or an endocrinologist like Botamara, and, you know, really get the guidance you need because it's certainly possible. And again, we're out in Western Maryland, Hagerstown, Maryland, it's partners in pediatrics and family health. And we take care of both kids and adults out here and I'd be happy to take care of anyone in the area. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The content is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it based on information shared on this podcast. The host, guests, and creators of this podcast do not endorse or promote any specific treatment, product, or medical institution. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk.